Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Now it's time to talk about politics and the Constitution and Trump's new acting attorney general, that political hack named Matt Whitaker. For comment, we turn to Erwin Chemerinsky. He's dean of the law school at UC Berkeley, the author of many books, including a brand new one, We the People, a progressive reading of the Constitution for the 21st Century. It's published today, Tuesday. He publishes widely, including the op-ed pages of the New York Times and the L.A. Times. We reached him today in Berkeley. Erwin Chemerinsky, congratulations on the new book and welcome back. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Well, Trump fired Jeff Sessions the day after the midterms last week. For a year, he'd complained that Sessions should have stopped the investigation of Russian involvement in his election. So this is the moment we've been worrying about You've been sharply critical of Jeff Sessions as attorney general. How are you feeling about him this week? Well, I think much of what Jeff Sessions did as attorney general is loathsome. He was the initiator and defender of the policy of separating parents and children at the border. He ordered all federal prosecutors to charge every crime to the maximum. He said no longer would the Justice Department investigate patterns and practice of civil rights abuses by the police. On the other hand, one thing he did was stand up for the rule of law. The rule of law is that no one, not even the president, is above the law. And Jeff Sessions properly recused himself from the Mueller investigation. As far as we know, never interfered with the Mueller investigation. And we have to very much give him due for that. So now we have Matt Whitaker, Trump's appointee, as acting attorney general. That appointment is unconstitutional, according to Neil Kotyal and George Conway, two prominent attorneys who wrote, in the New York Times op-ed page, that Trump has failed to seek the advice and consent of the Senate for this appointment as required uh, by the Constitution. And since Matt Whitaker has not been confirmed by the Senate, anything he does as acting attorney general is invalid and subject to legal challenge. And the state of Maryland now is challenging the appointment in court. Maryland is asking a judge to rule on who is the real acting attorney general. 
It's part of the lawsuit in which the state had sued Jeff Sessions in his official capacity. The lawsuit is about enforcement of Obamacare's protections of people with pre-existing conditions, so it's a very big deal right now. Because Jeff Sessions is no longer the attorney general, the judge must substitute his successor as the defendant in this litigation. Maryland has said it's not Matt Whitaker. What do you think? Well, I want to separate two questions. One is, should Matt Whitaker be attorney general from is it constitutional for him to be the acting attorney general? Okay. Matt Whitaker is really from the right-wing fringe. Matt Whitaker has said publicly that he believes that Marbury versus Madison, that gives the courts the power to review the constitutionality of statutes and executive actions, was wrongly decided. He said that states should be able to nullify federal action. He said only Christians should be appointed as federal judges. And you wonder, how did somebody with these really crackpot views become the acting attorney general. Well, he had one thing going for him. He was critical of Mueller's investigation. He even talked about the new attorney general should starve the Mueller investigation of funds and basically end it in that way. Now, having strongly opposed Matthew Whitaker as the acting attorney general, you get to the constitutional question. And I think it's a much harder question than Conway and Cattell made it seem. There are many instances where presidents have made temporary appointments to acting positions without Senate consent. I'll give you an example. Bill Land Lee is a terrific civil rights lawyer. He'd been nominated to be the Assistant Attorney General of the Civil Rights Division. He wasn't confirmed by the Senate, but President Clinton made him an acting Assistant Attorney General. That's a position that requires Senate approval. There are other instances where there have been vacancies, and there's been appointment as acting of those who hadn't been confirmed by the Senate. The argument on the other side is generally when there's been a vacancy in the attorney general position, we just have a number two or three person who has been confirmed take over that role. Is that a constitutional requirement? That's uncertain, and that's really what's going to be litigated. Whether Maryland's going to be able to do it in this litigation is also uncertain to me. Does Maryland really have standing to be able to object to who's the attorney general of the United States? Does it matter for the handling of this litigation? be fascinating to see how it all gets resolved. And of course, the underlying question is what happens to Robert Mueller and his investigation now? Is there a way to protect Mueller and his investigation if Matt Whitaker either fires him or cuts his budget to zero? Mueller is appointed by the attorney general or when Sessions recused himself, the attorney general's designate, Rod Rosenstein. If the new acting attorney general wants to cut Mueller's budget, we even fire Mueller. There's not much Mueller legally can do about it. Obviously, if we then get back to the argument, does Whitaker have the authority of the attorney general, given how he was appointed? Well, there are some roots of protecting Mueller uh, that have been sketched out by people who uh, claim to know what they're talking about. One is that even if he was fired or if his office was crippled, he could uh, deliver the work he's completed to this point, perhaps even sealed indictments, to the grand jury. The grand jury is beyond the reach of the Trump Justice Department, and the grand jury could issue indictments on his own. Or or Mueller could pass along the results of his investigation directly to prosecutors in New York City or New York State on the grounds that they have jurisdiction over some crimes. In fact, he might already have, have done this because he's undoubtedly anticipated uh, what, what might happen here. What do you think of those routes? 
I think those are all viable routes. Now, I'm going to take the latter that you mentioned. He could give the information to a United States attorney. We know of other instances where he's given information to the United States attorneys. This led to indictments and guilty pleas. Of course, the United States attorneys serve at the pleasure of the attorney general. And what if he gives the information to the United States attorney, say, in the Southern District of New York, and the United States attorney says, I'm going to sit on it, or the United States attorney doesn't sit on it, the attorney general says, you're fired, and I'll put in somebody in that role who won't use the information. So just remember, United States attorneys serve at the pleasure of the attorney general. In terms of the grand jury, he may have already presented the information to the grand jury, uh, or he can do so. Grand juries can return indictments, but grand juries don't get to prosecute. So if the grand jury were to indict, the prosecutor, whoever it would be, replaced Mueller could say, that's nice, but we're not going forward with the prosecution. And there's no way to force them to do that. So firing Mueller doesn't necessarily end the investigation, but it would certainly deal it a serious blow. And what about the prosecutions being taken over by the state of New York or the city of New York City, at least the ones that involve, you know, state crimes and city crimes, presumably involving taxes, for example? It's a complicated question. Assuming there has not been a prosecution initiated at the federal level, and it would be a state crime, the state of New York or any state can prosecute if the crime occurred there. So for crimes that occurred in New York, they can prosecute in New York court if no federal prosecution has been initiated. If a federal prosecution has been initiated, and if what's called jeopardy has attached, then New York law wouldn't allow the prosecution. New York law could be changed to allow the prosecution. But then it comes down to something even more complicated, the Supreme Court has said that the federal government and state government are separate sovereigns, and a prosecution in one, whether it leads to acquittal or conviction, doesn't preclude a prosecution in the other. But there's a case that's going to be argued in the Supreme Court in a couple of weeks, Gamble versus the United States, as to whether the Supreme Court should overrule that and say that the federal prosecution precludes a state one or state prosecution precludes a federal one. So all of that is why I say that question becomes a complicated one. Well, let's talk about your new book. It's subtitled A Progressive Reading of the Constitution for the 21st Century. What led you to write it in the first place? I had planned to write a book after Hillary Clinton was elected president on what it will mean to have five justices appointed by Democratic presidents. We haven't had that since 1969. And I wanted to lay out what should be the progressive vision for this new court. The day after the election... My wonderful literary agent, Bonnie Nadell, wrote to me and said, your proposal is scrap paper now. <laughs> and I did nothing for about six weeks. And then I said, but the progressive vision of the Constitution is going to be just as important, even if we don't have a court that's going to follow it right now. That the conservatives were so successful in developing their conservative vision at a time when they didn't have a staunch conservative majority on the court. We progressives now need to be developing ours if nothing else, the basis for criticizing the Supreme Court and President Trump, but also as laying a blueprint for a longer-term future. But, of course, the Constitution is responsible for some of our biggest problems right now, particularly the fact that although Trump did not win a majority of the votes, he lost by almost three million, he did get to be president anyway because of the Electoral College created by the Constitution, something that's explicitly anti-democratic with a small d, intended to, to check the will of the people. 
the will of the majority. And, you know, Article 1 and Article 2 of the Constitution establish the Senate, which is part of the basis of the Electoral College itself, another uh, attempt to check the democratic will of the people. And, of course, it wasn't until the 14th Amendment in 1868 that we get equal protection. It wasn't until the 15th Amendment in 1870 that we get the first mention of the right to vote in the Constitution. So the the original Constitution seems like has a lot of anti-democratic elements in its bedrock. Where Where do you find the underlying values for a progressive reading of the Constitution? In the preamble to the Constitution, and it's interesting how much the preamble has been ignored. Yeah. I taught constitutional law for 39 years, and I never, until I started working on this book, focused on the preamble. None of the constitutional law case books or treatises do much with the preamble. The Supreme Court virtually never mentions it. Yet those of us who grew up in the United States probably had to memorize it around <laughs> eighth grade. Yes. And if you look carefully at the preamble, it really tells us the values that the Constitution is meant to achieve. It's about democratic governance. It's about creating an effective government. It's about establishing justice. It's about preserving liberty. And I would add one value that's not in the preamble to that constellation, and that's equality. And so what I do in the book is take each of these values and talk about what should be the progressive reading of the Constitution to achieve these values. But I'm, I'm still hung up here on the Electoral College. It's clearly undemocratic. It's not the work of we the people. What do you think about the Electoral College in this context? The Electoral College was created in large part so as to protect slavery and southern states that had slaves, because it was said at the Constitutional Convention that if everyone got to vote for the president, then southern states would be at a disadvantage because they didn't let their slaves vote. And so the Constitution said in calculating representation in the House of Representatives, Slaves would count as three-fifths of persons. The Electoral College is based on representation of the House and the Senate, so southern states would get benefit of their slaves with regard to representation in the Electoral College. The Electoral College is blatantly inconsistent with democracy. Twice in the last 16 years, five times in American history, it's chosen a president who lost the popular vote. I think the Electoral College is unconstitutional. Wow. Or at the very least, I think that the winner-take-all that's used in 48 states is unconstitutional. But how could something in the Constitution be unconstitutional? That's because of the amendments. There's a number of things that are in the Constitution that were made unconstitutional by the amendments. One of the things the amendments do is add equal protection to the Constitution. And I think the Electoral College violates the notion of equal protection. But at the very least, I think, and there's a lawsuit pending about this now, that winner-take-all is unconstitutional. And without winner-take-all, it would be much less likely to re-elect the president who lost the popular vote. I was fascinated by your argument that the 14th Amendment should be the basis of a guaranteed annual income. And in fact, it almost was not so long ago. I believe had the Warren Court, which ended in 1969, continued another decade, it would have found under the Constitution a right to minimum entitlements right to education, right to food, to shelter, to medical care. And we tend to forget that none other than Richard Nixon in the early 1970s was about to propose a guaranteed annual income, minimum entitlements assured by the federal government. This I intentionally used to conclude the book. It's not how people think about the Constitution Day. It's not going to happen anytime soon. 
But if we believe that the Constitution is about securing life and liberty, as well as property, I think the government should have the duty to provide these minimum entitlements. It's interesting, when the court considered whether there's a right to education, it rejected it, but it was a five-to-four decision to reject that, with the four Nixon appointees in the majority, joined by Potter Stewart. Erwin Chemerinsky's new book is We the People, a progressive reading of the Constitution for the 21st century. It's published today, Tuesday. Erwin, thank you for this book, and thanks for talking with us today. It's always my great pleasure, John. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.